your source for all the latest Batman news related to movies, television, merchandise, and video games. Thanks for making the Batman Universe your ultimate source for Batman news. Hello everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe Podcast, episode number 68. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... This is John. And introducing our brand new co-host, Melinda. Hi, this is Melinda. So, first off, Melinda, tell the fans a little bit about yourself and how you got to be involved with the Batman Universe and Batman in general. Well, my first introduction to Batman was, unfortunately, the film Batman and Robin. I didn't let that deter me. I started work at a bookstore. I was reshelving comics one day and came across whatever happened to the Caped Crusader. Neil Gaiman's name caught my eye, so I picked it up and I really didn't look back. Found that I didn't have a lot of friends who were interested in Batman, so I googled Batman websites. This was one of the top links. I really liked it. I listened to the podcast for a few months and threw my hat in the ring as a reviewer. And then I came on board as a podcaster. Yeah, so you can catch a lot of her reviews during the week on the website. She reviews a number of different titles. Uh, recently, she's been reviewing Batman the Dark Knight, and she's part of the Flashpoint team for the site, so she's been helping out with the reviews for the Flashpoint series as well. For those of you who aren't reading Flashpoint, and I know this, is, this isn't the comic cast, we try to keep it separate. Flashpoint is amazing, and it's a real good introduction to the possibilities of good stories that come out of DC Comics. Yeah, really, really great event. I'm really enjoying it. All right, so with that, we have all of the news from the month of July. Now, this includes movie, TV, video game, merchandise, and general news. The other big thing that happened in July was Comic-Con. So there's going to be a lot of news from things that came out of Comic-Con. In addition, our feature is actually going to be kind of a discussion of Comic-Con. Now, obviously, I attended, but the other two co-hosts didn't, so it'll be kind of be like, from the perspective of someone who didn't go to Comic-Con, what, what Comic-Con was like from their perspective, and then getting the answers from somebody who did go to Comic-Con, which would be my perspective. So that'll be our feature, and our spotlight character is going to be the Mad Hatter, which was a request from somebody who emailed us. And you can always email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net with any requests, questions, comments, or concerns about the podcast. You're always welcome to do that. But there is a lot of news, and this episode's probably going to run a little bit longer than usual because of all the news and the Comic-Con discussion, so let's get right into it. First up, let's start with movie news. A routine question. Have you recently sold any war surplus submarines, and if so, to whom? On July 6th. TV Guide revealed that there will be a short film release with Batman Year One, and it will be featuring Catwoman, voiced by Alicia Dushko, which, as we know, she's also voicing Catwoman in the actual Batman Year One story as well. And this is bringing back the DC showcase that we've seen in the past, but hasn't actually been around for almost a year now, as the last two animated films that were released under the DC animated banner didn't actually have a showcase, so it's kind of interesting that they're bringing it back, number one. I'm happy to see that Catwoman is actually going to be getting a little spotlight. Yeah, 
this is really really exciting do we know if it's going to be her origin story or is it going to be its own little standalone thing the the current word is that it's going to be kind of like a standalone story it's not based off of anything that we've seen and it's actually introducing a new character called rough cut story was written by paul dini which explains possibly why there's a new villain but um, for the most part, it seems as if it's going to be just a complete, you know, straightforward story and completely new. I was just wondering, do you think that they are potentially using Catwoman as the character because we know Catwoman's going to be in the movie come next summer? That's a good call. I think that no matter how much anybody at Warner Brothers or DC want to deny it, I think the characters that are going to be in The Dark Knight Rises next summer are going to start to see a lot more spotlight. They're going to get a lot more spotlight put on them because they're going to be in that film. I think that's one of the reasons why, well, it's not the only reason when I say this, but she's going to have her own solo comic series starting in September, and I think that's one of the reasons she's getting that, not part of a team like she was with Gotham City Sirens. But in addition to that, this showcase is another avenue of that. We know that Bane is supposed to be coming a lot more prominent in the comics as well. And I think it's... Warner Brothers has gotten a little bit smarter about making sure that the characters that are popping up in the movies are a little bit more well-known through a wide variety of different marketing measures. And I think that it makes more sense for them to do things like this where they're not really marketing Catwoman. It's just getting Catwoman out to the public and have the public more aware of Catwoman. I mean, even though she's really a high-profile character already, just seeing if they can raise that exactly. through the animated feature. It's like raising the awareness. Especially, I think, for kids as well, because obviously they're going to come, maybe go watch the movie, and not really know who Catwoman is. So this way, they've got a bit more of a, a base to start off with. Really. Yeah, I think one of the, the things is, you know, at least for the last couple of years, with only having... Batman the Brave and the Bold, that show doesn't really focus a lot on specific Batman characters because it's more of the entire DC universe, more so than just the Batman universe. And because of that, I think that, you know, there's a new generation of children who haven't necessarily been watching Batman cartoons and don't, you know, aren't watching the reruns of the animated series or uh, even the Batman TV show that aren't fully aware of all of the characters that are part of it. I mean, I know that younger kids now really, really enjoy Batmite as far as seeing Batmite on Batman Brave and the Bold, but Batmite was somebody that, before Grant Morrison brought him back in the comics, in the last, I think it was four years ago, then the character really wasn't even around since the cartoon series back in the 70s. So it's one of those characters where they have the potential to like hit that market and on top of that i'm sure there's going to be catwoman action figures and they want those to sell too so they've got to get the the, the public more aware specifically the younger younger generations i think as well along the lines it appeals to the the female audience because catwoman's a strong female character and comics can be seen quite as a uh, and superhero films can be seen as a very Loki kind of thing so by emphasizing a more a very strong female character it captures that female audience although i make it sound really cynical i no, think no, it's a it, way of doing it. absolutely true when you're getting into comics you're really limited in 
strong female good characters that are in the the main Batman universe. I mean, you've got a few in the comics, but almost none in the movies. So it's it's good to see that they are bringing that in to try to draw in female audiences. I think I agree with with both of you. And I also think that one of the reasons to bring Catwoman in is because there's just overall in comic book movies in general, the characters that are, are, are in the films that are females are either there for specifically for a love interest or they're created characters specifically for the film but don't necessarily add or take away anything from the film itself. So that's been pretty evident at least in the last two Batman movies where we had uh, the Rachel Dawes character who was you know not well, one she wasn't actually from the comics and there was plenty of characters they could have took from the comics but they didn't and in addition to that the character I mean for the most part it was a character that was in distress that Batman had to save at some point and it's nice to see that Catwoman might most likely will not be the the character in distress that Batman has to come and save the day for. So the next bit of news is on July 7th, the MTV released the first trailer for Batman Year One. You can check that out on the website. Overall, it was definitely evident that they were using David Mazzucchelli's art as a basis to form their animation, as it's very close to the animation style of what was actually in the Batman Year One comic. I think the, the trailer did a good job at setting up exactly what the story is going to be about. I'm hoping that there's, obviously we'll see more clips, we might see even another trailer, but for the most part, I can't say that I'm, I'm not looking forward to this movie. I'm so excited about this movie. It strikes me more as a teaser trailer than an actual full-blown trailer because it doesn't really delve into things in depth, but uh, the artwork... I mean, is almost spot on from the comic, which is my favourite comic in the Batman universe. And they've stuck, from from what I can see from the trailer, and as we said before, they've stuck really close to the script. And Ben McKenzie actually surprisingly sounds really good in both roles. He has always been the really fresh-faced kid from the OC, and... It was sort of a bit touch and go whether he'd sound really good, but he just perfectly pulls it off, and it is just making me think this is going to be the DC animated film of well ever. Really, I know that's a big statement, and I hope it's it's backed up. But I really do think that. I saw kind of a making of featurette during the Emerald Night screening that I got to go to at the start of May, I was really hesitant when I saw that it was Benjamin McKenzie doing the voice of Bruce. I didn't think that he was going to be able to pull it off because my only experience was, was with him uh, in the OC. But as soon as I saw they had Brian Cranston as Commissioner Gordon, I just lit up. I thought that was going to be the greatest casting ever. And I don't think I'm wrong on that one. I think Brank Cranston's probably going to... I mean, a lot of people have said and continue to say that Batman Year One is not necessarily... Yes, it's the origin story of Batman, but it's not specifically the Bruce Batman story. It's more of a, a story for Commissioner Gordon, more so in some senses than than Batman and Bruce Wayne, because it's more of the, the trials and tribulations that Jim Gordon has to deal with 
as he's actually coming to Gotham, and it's more of a story for both characters, more than just the Batman story. Yeah, and I, I think it's really important that they have a strong voice for Commissioner Gordon, just because he is such a strong presence in the Year One storyline. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of the Year One story. I don't particularly care for David Mazzucchelli's art, but I'm excited to see this brought to the big screen. Well, to the screen anyway. Um, and I'm excited, really, to see it when it comes out. I think, again, it gives... I, I can understand what you're saying, Melinda, about the art. It, it, it's not particularly to everyone's taste. It's kind of a bit shady, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, not getting onto the comic cast. Um, I, I think this, what the film does as well quite nicely is it, it's a start for the animated series. So you can, and I, I am quite tempted to do this, is you can watch the these films and work out a set order and you can put the, the Batman the Animated Series in there and if you want the Batman, um, Batman the Brave and the Bold, and it gives you almost its own kind of timeline and chronology, and that, I think, is, is really nice to see where Batman started and where Jim Gordon started, as you guys were saying, and then work through it and see a progression almost. Um, it's a kind of comic version of the animated films you know you get different storylines and different styles and that kind of thing and that I really I think something like that actually is entirely possible because even more so you know you could probably do that a lot with Batman the Animated Series because of the addition of not only Dick Grayson but Barbara Gordon and Tim Drake all those characters actually play a part in Batman the Animated Series and even more so with Batman Brave and the Bold because it introduced some of the elements that were never touched upon in the animated series like what's the future of Batman we know that Damien's going to become Batman at some point in his life and that's actually addressed during the Batman Brave and the Bold TV series so there's probably a really interesting way of like making all of these flow together to kind of tell the entire comic history per se of Batman well, I mean, and then you add Batman Beyond to the end of that, and yep. you've taken it much further out. All right, so the next bit of news we have comes on July 11th. The Dark Knight Rises revealed their first poster. Now, this is a teaser poster, and basically it features the bat signal with a bunch of buildings crumbling around it. You're basically looking from the ground straight up towards the sky, and the skyline of Gotham City is crumbling around you, forming the actual bat signal. Definitely interesting. Does have a Inception-like feel to it. Yeah, I really like the look of this. Just as a as a little teaser poster to sort of pique your interest, because I'm now wondering what, why the buildings of Gotham are crumbling. I mean, how far is this this storyline going to go? Are we actually going to see the destruction of Gotham, which would be surprising, but very interesting as well. It really brought to mind the Dark Knight poster with the bat symbol burning into one of the buildings. I kind of took it to mean that Gotham itself is falling apart without Batman. That, and that's a good perspective. I think that does have to do with it because every single movie has its own theme. And I think that's the theme behind this movie is really going to be more of a 
what does the city have to deal with when Batman's not around because Batman has to go into hiding or you know can't show his face as much because he's being hunted by not only the villains but also the police as well so he's not on the good or the bad side of the law in that perspective but he's being chased by both sides so he really has he can't really do what he needs to possibly need to do in order to do his his job specifically so ultimately Gotham is the one who ends up suffering but we'll have more on The Dark Knight Rises in just a little bit. The next bit of news we have comes on July 13th. Warner Brothers sent over the details for Batman Year One with not only the cover art for the box, but also the list of special features that will be featured on it, as well as the trailer. So all that stuff is on the website, but we will go over just the special features. Included on the Blu-ray edition of it, we will see not only the feature film, but also a sneak peek of the next film, Justice League Doom. We will see the DC Showcase animated short, Catwoman, featurette called Heart of Vengeance, Returning Batman to His Roots, and their description was, The Dark Knight Returns provided the denouement of Batman's life. Frank Miller's next seminal work provided his near-mythic origin of Batman Year One. This documentary uncovers the contemporary genius of Miller and the audience that was poised to appreciate the depths of his work. Uh, The next feature is Conversations with DC Comics, The Batman creative team at DC Entertainment discusses the personal influence of Batman Year One on their careers. Batman producer Michael Uslan leads the chat amongst well-known writers, editors, and artists of the Batman lore, focusing their dialogue on the darker, realistic interpretation of Batman's origins by Frank Miller and David Mazzucchelli. There will also be some commentary by Alan Burnett, Sam Liu, Mike Carlin, and Andrea Romano. The Batman Year One Chapter One digital comic book will be featured as well. Two episodes from Batman the Animated Series and a digital copy of the film as well. So lots of special features. I am definitely looking forward to watching those documentaries. Some of those documentaries in the past have been very good. Some have not been. But I think that these two specifically, because they deal with more of the Batman universe are going to be very interesting. I was not disappointed when they had with the special features that they had for Under the Red Hood, so I, I imagine that uh, they'll do a decent job again this time. It's nice to see DC packing in features as well. A lot of the time they can be a bit of an afterthought and they can come across really badly, but these ones look really, really interesting, especially the feature on Miller. It'll be interesting to find out what was going on in his head whilst he wrote it considering he's he's really now a bit of a laughing stock of the the dc universe with some of his suggestions um most notably batman taking on al-qaeda it's my personal favorite and i also quite like the two hand-picked episodes that they put onto these by bruce tim it's really interesting to see what his favorite episodes are um and it, it's interesting to see, again, the, the machinations behind behind those episodes and, and hear it from him. I'm really looking forward to the DVD, the film, the features, everything. Like John, I'm really excited about the Frank Miller documentary because I think it would be interesting to find out not only what he was thinking, but what was going on for him when he was writing You know, year one. I don't know if they'll cover The Dark Knight Returns, The Dark Knight Strikes Again, or Strikes Back. I don't know if they'll cover any of those, but I think it would be interesting to hear it from his point of view. 
as far as the other features go, I have not actually ever seen the animated series, so to get the introduction from Bruce Tim to see his favorite episodes first, I really respect his work as far as I've seen it. I'm I'm curious about it, and that's that's kind of where I stand on it. So then the next bit we've got is probably the biggest news of the month. July 18th was the release of the teaser trailer for The Dark Knight Rises. The They released... They, it was actually leaked the week prior, but those of you who may, might have gone out and saw Harry Potter, who in, was included in that was myself. I saw Harry Potter in IMAX. Um, we were treated to a pretty decent teaser trailer for The Dark Knight Rises, much different than the teaser trailers we've seen in the past from Chris Nolan when it comes to the Batman films. We actually saw actual footage from the film instead of just hearing some voices in the background with a bat signal. This is awesome. Go find a film. and Because uh, I saw it, interestingly enough, just before I watched Captain America. I thought that was an interesting marketing placement there, really. Especially considering the Avengers is going up against The Dark Knight Rises next year. So that's even more interesting. But it on the, the big screen, it looks absolutely fantastic. It's just filled me with such expectations, and I'm pretty sure Christopher Nolan will fulfill them. I think it's interesting. It does back up what you, Melinda, were saying earlier about Gotham literally falling apart without Batman because of the scene with Gordon uh, talking to presumably Bruce Wayne or Batman about, about him not being around and Gordon saying, oh, well, we need you. Gotham's crumbling without it. And you distinctly hear Bruce Wayne say, well, what if he doesn't exist anymore? So, obviously, something's shaken him to such the core. And I can only assume that must be Bane breaking his back, that he's now given up being Batman. And as you guys were saying, Gotham then starts to completely fall apart without him. And it, it, I think it's going to be very, very interesting. Seeing Commissioner Gordon talk to the unnamed person, as he said, presumably Bruce or Batman, from a hospital bed concerns me. I, I'm very concerned about the fate of Commissioner Gordon in this film, but the, the very brief scenes that we do see from The Dark Knight Rises piqued my interest completely one of the first things I, I read when I got into Batman was the Nightfall uh, novelization. So I was familiar with Bane, and to hear that he was the villain in this film, and to see him for a whole 12 frames in the preview, was frightening, because he does look like he could take down Batman and not lose a night of sleep over it. The problem is that Bane has been associated so poorly since he appeared in Batman and Robin back in the 90s that a lot of people, when they first initially was, were told that Bane was going to be the villain, a lot of people were off-put by that because they didn't actually know what Bane was capable of. Now, those of us who read comics know that Bane did actually break Batman's back at some point during that Nightfall series that Melinda mentioned, and... It would be very interesting to see that. I don't know that they're going to go in that specific route just because we've seen because that's one of the few stories that Bane 
really holds his own in. Well, he's really the he's really the one of the main characters behind that entire story, and there's only been a few stories here and there that have involved Bane, but that was like Bane's hurrah was Nightfall. So it's, if they went for the he breaks his back, yes, I could see it, but I think Christopher Nolan would probably end up doing something very different than him is than uh, Batman getting his back broken. Um, I don't think that he's necessarily going to go with the back breaking, but in Arkham Asylum, Bane is always saying, I will be the one to break you, Batman. I will be the one to take you yeah. down. But he doesn't, I mean, in the start of Nightfall, he doesn't do it by breaking Batman's back right away. He tears him down psychologically, which I think would be amazing to see in The Dark Knight Rises. And that's something that I could actually see Chris Nolan doing is more of a, there's a breakout of the prison and... Batman has to fight off all these, not necessarily like all kinds of villains, but just, you know, thugs and stuff, just huge fights that wears Batman out. And then the whole Nightfall story was about, you know, Bane breaking out all these people out of Arkham Asylum and then Batman having to take these people out. And at the same time, Bane was isolating a lot of the allies from Batman's universe so that they couldn't help Batman. So Batman would be completely worn out, not only physically, but also like also psychologically and I think that could be a very interesting take, and I could definitely see Chris Nolan doing something with that because of his past films non-Batman related. I do see what you two mean. I, I do think it would be interesting. The problem with that is I think it's a little bit too similar to Batman Begins, which was the Scarecrow, Razzle, trying to tear the city apart in, you know, okay, granted using fear toxin, but they were still trying to tear the city apart, wearing Batman down. You know, you had, they had the prison escape, so he was trying to keep Batman busy and things like that. And I think the danger with that is a lot of people will go, well, we kind of saw this in Batman Begins, and it's almost similar, but with, with just a, a slightly different villain. See, I, I have to disagree, because I think... We did see the prison break, but we didn't really see Batman rounding up the prisoners who escaped from prison. And even in, you know, even in The Dark Knight, they mentioned about how, you know, they've kind of shut off the narrows because of what happened in Batman Begins. And when you think about it, yeah, Ra's al Ghul was trying to take down Gotham City and really test Batman. But I think that was, I don't think it was more of a test for Batman as it was as much as Ra's al Ghul just wanted to take out Gotham City. Batman was just this obstacle that he had to overcome. Yeah, I can, I can see what you mean, but then I think it's the same, from what I've seen with the trailer, it seems to be the same perspective with with Bane, in that, from what I can tell from the trailer, and, and sort of guessing, is that again, it's Batman's just an obstacle in Bane's way. And it might go that direction, but I, I think, at least at this point, I, I, I see that actually being a possibility of what's going to happen. But I think it's going to work into a lot more, kind of expand that kind of sense of the story. Alright, so then the next bit of news actually comes from Comic-Con. The new animated films for DC were announced. During the premiere of the Batman Year One... There was a Q&A session that was held, and there was the lineup for next year, which will include Justice League Doom, 
which we already have known. Uh, next summer we'll have Superman, a Superman film based off the one shot called Superman vs. the Elite. Not familiar with that. But then next fall is what's really interesting. We've got either part one or two different parts of a two-part movie based off of Batman The Dark Knight Returns. Now, what's interesting about this is that, uh, according to Andrea Romano, she says that she would love to see Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill play their respective roles in Batman The Dark Knight Returns, and that might actually work, given that Batman The Dark Knight Returns takes place in the future, where Batman is much older and much more, uh, much more, he's just, he's more aged as well as the Joker is. This is the Joker in The Dark Knight Returns. Where does he... Appear. It doesn't have a huge role. It's it's a minor role. Ah, uh, okay. But uh, uh, that would make sense. It would be nice to see Mark Hamill come back as the Joker, um, sort of round off the series. And again, this is kind of you can now do it chronologically. You can fit the Dark Knight Returns just at the end of the Batman animated series, and just before Batman Beyond. And it, it, it again creates its own nice little continuity. And I think this will be really interesting to see whether they stick to the, the original art, how close they stick to the storyline as well. But I, th- I think this is, this is a really smart move by them. With Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill doing the voices, I know both of them have kind of expressed that they thought they were getting too old to be doing the voices for Batman and Joker. So I think that this would be the perfect project for them to come back in. You know, older Batman, older Joker. I think that would be great. And as far as John said, with creating the continuity uh, through an animated form, it does fit really nicely in. uh, Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but Carrie Kelly ends up dying in one of the Dark Knight uh, books. Does she not? I believe so. Yeah, so that sets the stage for, you know grizzled Bruce not wanting Terry to come in and be Batman. He's, he, I mean, he's seen multiple sidekicks die at that point. And then the other bit out of the Q&A session was that asked if Batgirl Year One was a possibility, and Bruce Timmy said he would love to do that. Another story that was brought up, Batman the Killing Joke, and Tim also said that they've had discussions about doing that as well. And we also had a chance to interview not only Bruce Tim, Andrea Romano, and Lauren Montgomery and Sam Liu, the co-directors of the film, but also Katie Sackhoff and Ben McKenzie, who actually voice characters in Bat- Batman Year One. And when we were talking to the various different people that we had interviews with, Lauren Montgomery said she would she would love to do a Batgirl Year One. And at some point, Bruce Tim also mentions that Batman the Killing Joke they would love to do. It's just a matter of getting Alan Moore on board to do that story as well. I'd love to see both of those stories done. I think it, they'd be really, really fascinating. It'd be really interesting to see how they do it as well, whether they take it slightly in their own direction or whether they, they stick to the art. And I think the joke at the end of the Killing Joke will be such a spine tingly moment it'll be it'll be great and you can have a little geek out or i certainly will be having a little geek out especially if they do it although i'm intrigued why they're not doing some of the other stories such as nightfall i think especially 
seeing as they're going quite Catwoman heavy this year with the specials and because of the movie, you think they kind of try and capitalise a bit on the on the stuff with Bane as well. And I think that would be a really interesting story to tell. So hopefully they they might do something like that. And I'd like to see War Games as well. Actually, would be another one that I'd really like to see them transform. I think that's a very very interesting story. Uh, I think if we see Bane's popularity rise after The Dark Knight Rises. They probably would look into doing a Nightfall story in animated form, but until then, because a lot of people, like we said, only know Bane from Batman and Robin or only know him from Arkham Asylum. He's not a villain that a lot of people are familiar with, whereas doing something like The Killing Joke, which I think they'll have a lot of difficulty getting Alan Moore to sign off on, but doing something like that, that's a really well-known story. That's something that I think a lot of people are waiting to see come to the animated form. I'm going to slightly disagree. It seems like I'm disagreeing with you all the time. I'm not. I'm not. Um, I'm not taking I, it personally. Oh, that's good. That's okay. I don't know. I don't think The Killing Joke is as well-known. I think Nightfall is a more well-known story. Um, and I think The Killing Joke is something that's a classic, but amongst comic book fans rather than a a wider audience whereas I think if you say to people Bane they go oh yeah the Dark Knight Rises and they're more likely to know through this the Dark Knight Rises the whole story of Nightfall whereas Killing Joke I think is very a little underground uh, but popular amongst comic book fans and if you say to someone on the street, oh, the Joker, that's not the first story that they're, they're going to say. Well, I mean, I know that we sell a lot of copies of The Killing Joke in the hardcover format. I mean, it's it's still a book that goes whenever we have it in stock. So I, I'm sorry, John, but I would disagree with you there. I think that The Killing Joke is more well-known than the Nightfall story arc within non-comic book readers. I think The Killing Joke is one of those books where it continues to be sold because it's a great story and involves the iconic Batman vs. Joker and it's one of, well, it's the most iconic Batman vs. Joker storyline that has ever been written and in addition to that, there's it must continue to do really well and it must sell very well for not only die-hard comic fans but also normal, normal fans of Batman in general because they reprint the book probably at least once every year. You no, know, in the last three years since we started the comic cast, we've talked about how that book is con- that book continues to be re-released over and over again, and it's almost annoying how much it's re-released, but they wouldn't keep re-releasing it if it wasn't selling very well. I mean, there's definitely some things out there that they should be making. Nightfall would be a very good storyline. There's a lot of storylines that could be very good. I would love to personally see No Man's Land and Catechism, but the chances of that getting made are slimmer than Nightfall or even War Games, most likely. So, No, I do agree, though, that War Games should be made. I mean, it's got my favorite Joker moment in it of all time, so I would love to see that. All right, so moving ahead, the next thing we've got is the actual last bit of movie news. On July 28th, there was a press conference that seemed very odd, yet it happened anyway. 
This was for The Dark Knight Rises. It was a press conference that happened in Pittsburgh. I'm sure this had more to do with the city of Pittsburgh and the state of Pennsylvania promoting the fact that The Dark Knight Rises was going to be filming there than anything else because Christian Bale showed up in what appeared to be a tracksuit. Didn't really seem to bother him that uh, there was all kinds of cameras. Chris Nolan was in his normal attire, but there was the, the city mayor as well as the governor of Pennsylvania all present to applaud The Dark Knight Rises for coming to Pittsburgh. It really just seemed like more of a PR scheme for the city and the state of Pennsylvania more so than it really really relating anything to The Dark Knight Rises. So you can check out the video on the website, but like I said, you're not really going to get a whole lot of news out of what's going on with uh, The Dark Knight Rises. It did look like Nolan and Christopher Bell had just basically been pushed in front of this stand and said, been told to say something nice about Pittsburgh. They looked absolutely terrified. It was quite funny. My favourite bit, however, is when the mayor went and hopefully you'll come back and you'll uh, edit the film here and then just went, but you can't. And then just left it at that. <laughs> no explanation at all for why he said that. Presumably they don't have the facilities for editing, I don't know. But I just, it was so painful to, to watch hilarious that's painful to even talk about i hope they got some good tax credits or something for doing that press conference (laughs) that's all i have to say about that so moving right along let's move into tv news really only two things first at san diego there was a young justice panel and we did have a chance to catch up with Danica McKellar, who voices Miss Martian on the, the TV show Young Justice. She kind of talked a little bit about what's to come, but for the most part, everything was pretty tight-lipped about what we can expect in future episodes, as well as how the story will develop, any other characters we'll see. It was very tight-lipped, as they really didn't want to ex- expose or re- reveal a whole lot of information at all. So... You can check out the interview with Danica McKellar. She does reveal one secret, which I'd rather not talk about. And you can check it out on the uh, the website as well as YouTube. The other bit was at the Young Justice panel, they did show the new episode of Young Justice, which is entitled Targets. And because of that, they sent out two clips from the actual episode. But as of right now, we still don't know when the new episode will actually air on Cartoon Network for the rest of us to be able to see. I really really hope this tv series comes back soon because it was although we slightly had a dig at it on the podcast uh, do you know what it was it was really getting there and it was really finding its feet the summer that just had now would have been perfect to slot it in because it's not you, you know you can focus everything on there you can put it in this time slot on cartoon network where star wars used to be which seems to me to be the thing that Cartoon Network are really, really focusing on and really pushing. And I I just think that they've missed a huge opportunity. And people are in debt, you know, it's a real danger of people forgetting that this TV series exists when it comes back and the, the ratings will be down and they might not pick it up for a second series, which I, I hope to God they do because it it's just fantastic. Well, they have picked it up in America for a second season. They're actually already in production of the second season. 
and the second season is supposed to premiere in America at least, they said early 2012. There's still at least, I think they said, another 12 episodes that are still set to air for the first season on Cartoon Network between now and then. Really what it comes down to is Cartoon Network is very bad about scheduling these shows because they look at the cart, and I think this this is one of the reasons that Justice League and Justice League Unlimited ultimately didn't do as well as they could they would have thought they could have is because Young Justice it's very very in order. When I say that, I, there, I'm sure there's a specific word for it, but basically you watch the episodes in order, and there's there's definite plot points that are carried over from each episode to make an overall story. So when you watch all of the episodes together. There's actually a story that's taking place in the overall theme of the show besides the the mission-specific story that's happening on the episode as well. And Young Justice is like that, but Justice League was like that too, but I think because Cartoon Network has this odd way of scheduling their shows, that's really what falters on these shows. That's what a lot of shows nowadays, primetime live-action dramas will do is they have they have those overall story themes that that go from episode to episode and that's what makes shows successful the problem is that it's because it's a cartoon and it's on cartoon network it doesn't always get the the schedule the airing schedule that it should they've been really really bad about delaying it delaying new episodes not airing the last episode on broadcast television and just putting it putting it on their website and I think that's really hurt it because it it is a great show. It's got really dynamic characters. It's got the overarching storyline that's going to last the whole season, and you can tell that. But it, the fact that they've been so lax about scheduling it has really hurt the show, I think. But then I think it's up to Warner Brothers and the team to really take Cartoon Network to task over that because it hurts them more than it hurts Cartoon Network. Yeah. And I, I honestly would rather see it sit in a schedule on one of the lesser channels, like Nickelodeon or something like that, than it just... it be on Cartoon Network, which, fair enough, is the biggest, as far as I know, I think it's the biggest cartoon channel there is, but be mucked about in the scheduling and lose lose people because of that well i would i would really hope that warner brothers does take them to task on this because well also cartoon network is owned by warner brothers not the same you know they're not owned by warner brothers animation which is the one actually producing the tv show they do warner brothers entertainment the company owns cartoon network because it owns the turner broadcasting stations and Cartoon Network was one of those stations. And that's why we see a lot of the Warner Brothers animation stuff, whether it be DC or other properties such as the Looney Tunes and things like that, on Cartoon Network because they own those. I think the problem is that Warner Brothers... There's always been this like very bad relationship between all the multiple different entities in Warner Brothers. And it's been very evident on... For instance, with uh, Batman Brave and the Bold episodes, where there's a number of episodes that have already actually been released on iTunes and have been out there in the public for quite some time, yet they've never actually aired on Cartoon Network, and some people have never seen the episodes unless you've downloaded them on iTunes. But that should be working hand-in-hand, where the episode airs and then it gets released, 
and it goes back to there's some sort of communication breakdown between Cartoon Network and, and Warner Brothers. That just makes Warner Brothers seem even sillier now, in which case I'm taking Warner Brothers to task for not even promoting their own shows well. That makes them seem even more ludicrous, really. You know, you look at the show and go, right, this is, we want this to be a success and do really well. And it's the same with Batman the Brave and the Bold. That's really popular with, with young kids. It's not aimed at us. I can't stand the show, but it's really popular. So you'd think that they'd keep keep it going because, you know, it does well for them. But I've, I don't know, Warner Brothers leave me questioning logic at the moment now. All right, so that is all the TV news. Let's jump into merchandise news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No way anyone's getting to us up here. Is that so? That's in our belfry again. Now, there's probably more merchandise news than anything else, so I'm going to breeze through some of these, and we'll talk about some of the other ones. There was a bunch of new partnerships that Warner Brothers announced prior to Comic-Con, as well as things that actually happened at Comic-Con based on those partnerships that were announced. So I'm going to breeze through some of these real quickly. On July 5th, Hot Toys announced that the Batman Begins figure would actually be exclusive at a bunch of toy fairs around the world, including San Diego Comic-Con, AnimeCom and Games in Hong Kong, the Singapore Toy Game and Comic Convention, the Amnikami Games in Gagunzo, and the Taipei Comic-Con, as well as the Tokyo event, which will happen in late 2011. You can check out pictures of the figure on the website. It's basically Batman as he appeared in Batman Begins. As we know, that was a very different Batsuit than what he had in The Dark Knight. Next up, there was a new Kotobukiya Biyoshu statue announced. This time it'll feature Poison Ivy. As of right now, it is scheduled to be available in February of 2012. You can check out the picture of that on the website. All right, now to go through the first partnership. On July 12th, Warner Brothers announced that they are teaming with Sideshow Collectibles. Sideshow Collectibles is known for their premium statues and busts, but now they will be also making premium statues and busts for the DC comic characters specifically including Superman, Batman, Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman. Sideshow Collectibles also has a deal-slash-partnership with uh, Toys as well to kind of distribute the items, so possibly as The Dark Knight Rises comes around, we might be seeing more of a readily available inventory of the Hot Toys characters, despite the fact that they are you know, $180 to buy. It's difficult for those items to pop up because they're coming from Hong Kong and, you know, Hot Toys doesn't have a lot of distribution deals with a lot of retailers in America, so that'll help that out as well. Next up, July 18th, the new DC Direct items were announced for March 2012, and there was really only one thing that was announced based off the DC Universe Online video game. The Series 1 action figures, including Batman and Catwoman, will be released in March of 2012. On July 19th, Sideshow Collectibles announced their very first statue between the partnership with Warner Brothers, and it will be a Joker statue in a premium format figure. Now, there's a picture online also at Comic-Con. They actually had it on display as well, so we have pictures of that on the website as well. 
the next partnership that was announced was reported through Variety that Warner Brothers expanded their relationship with LEGO to include all characters from the DC Comics. Now we've seen in the past LEGO has actually had a Batman line of LEGOs to have the Batcave and the Batmobile and a lot of other Batman related things and Batman villains. But the series kind of dropped off about a year and a half ago. You can't really find the series in the stores anymore. But with this new partnership, it's actually going to expand it besides just the uh, the Batman universe. It's also going to include a number of other characters from the DC universe as well. There's also pictures online of this, include updated figures for Poison Ivy, Joker, Catwoman, and Batman. You can check those out. Those were also taken at comic-con as well and then on july 20th warner brothers actually released their press release for the partnership between lego and warner brothers and dc and they also mentioned lego batman the video game as that as a possibility of future endeavors because of the success of lego batman which i played the game i beat the game it was a great game i look forward to seeing more lego dc universe games in the future i'm really excited about the lego universe expanding i love lego love batman i'm not very good at video games but i've made my little brother play play through lego batman several times love watching him every time i'm really excited about these coming back because the sets go for stupid money on ebay and i missed out on these first time round, and i really really regretted it very very pleased that they've expanded it as well because frankly everything's more fun in lego and just as an aside the sideshow collectibles are definitely something to get hold of. I've got a couple of the Star Wars ones, and the quality on them is absolutely fantastic. So I'm very tempted to part with my money to get these Sideshow ones as well, because I think they're going to be fantastic. One of the things that's interesting about the Sideshow collectibles is that it's similar in, in, in the quality of Hot Toys, but they're even more premium, per se. I mean, they, they can get pretty expensive, but they're very high quality and that's really nice but back to the lego stuff i love the fact that lego is going to be doing more batman stuff and dc universe in general it's really great because even a couple years ago i thought to myself i should probably start picking up these batman lego sets for when my son ends up getting old enough to play with legos just so that he has them and I missed out on that opportunity. And like John said, even on eBay, these things are ridiculously expensive because they're very hard to come by. And I can't understand why the series was ever ended in the first place. Otherwise, other than it was possibly a, you know, a, you know, a licensee pro- issue with Lego and Warner Brothers for a while. But even with Lego Batman being really, besides Harry Potter, Lego has only done Harry Potter and Batman for Warner Brothers, and it's sold very well. I mean, you can still find the game on shelves today, and that game's been out for close to three years at this point. So the game was very successful. It'll be interesting to see them expand it even more so, and I'm looking forward to that. All right, so now we get into a lot of the Comic-Con stuff. Like I said, there's a bunch of pictures, a bunch of different merchandise that was showcased at Comic-Con. First up, we've got pictures of the... Lego booth, which, like I said, featured Batman, Catwoman, Joker, and Poison Ivy, but part of the expansion of the Lego superhero brand is also to include Marvel characters. Now, clearly, we don't talk about Marvel, but it's interesting because they're actually calling the Lego superheroes 
because they're going to be having hero superheroes from both sides of the comic book world, as well as not just the Lego people, but they're also expanding their hero factory or something like that, where it's like you can build these larger figures that would look like an action figure size out of a different type of Lego building materials. And they, they actually had one on display of a Batman, too, so you can check out the picture of that. The next booth was Sideshow Collectibles. The Joker figure that they announced was on display, as well as Hot Toy displays for the 1989 Batmobile, the Jack Nicholson Batmobile from the 1989 film, as well as the Batman Begins figure that we talked about earlier. So you can check out those pictures online as well. Alright, next up we have on July 21st, DC Direct actually held a panel. There was one specific announcement about the future of Batman figures, and it was that despite the fact that Warner Brothers is now teaming with Sideshow Collectibles and already has a partnership with Hot Toys and a partnership with a, a, a number of other you know, producers of, of action figures and statues and sorts, DC Direct will continue to put out products and they announced in August of 2012, which seems like forever away because it's a year from now, they will actually have a new action figure series based off of the new Justice League that's going to be in the comics come September of this year. And in the first wave, Batman will actually be in that set. You can take a look at the pictures online, but it also shows the new style of the Batsuit that Batman will have September. Next up, we've got the booth images from the Hallmark booth. We talked about how Hallmark has announced new Batman ornaments. They had the actual Batman ornament as well as a 1966 Batmobile ornament on display, as well as some other materials such as a gift bag and a mug that actually says To the Man Cave with Batman on it. Already added that to my Christmas list. That was quite interesting as well. Next, Square Enix had some Batman Arkham Asylum figures. These figures that we have pictures of online, you will probably never actually see in stores. They were mislabeled on a wide variety of different websites as they were for Batman Arkham City, but they are not. They were actually for Batman Arkham Asylum. And once you find out that it's Square Enix that actually had these figures on display, the question was, well, what does Square Enix have to do with Batman at all? Well... Eidos was actually the company that distributed Batman Arkham Asylum. As Warner Brothers Interactive had a part in it, but did not actually distribute it, Eidos actually was the distributor for the game, as Rocksteady was the developer for the game. Now, Eidos was bought out by Square Enix around the same time that Rocksteady was bought out by Warner Brothers Interactive. And now, basically, Square Enix owns part of Batman Arkham Asylum, and because of that, they've created these figures. Now, as of right now, Square Enix doesn't have any kind of license whatsoever to create these figures to actually sell them in stores. So these were kind of shown as what could possibly happen, but they did have a very specific note that said that the licensing was pending. And I'm going to just go out on a limb and say chances are they're probably not going to end up getting that license. So if you want to see those images, you can take a look at them on the website. But you'll probably never actually see these figures in stores. That's a shame, because those would be excellent in the special edition for Batman Arkham City. To get those, if they could do it and have those two figures, that would be really, really cool, rather than the uh, crappy Batarang that they had last time. If they could work out a license for that, that would be an interesting way to distribute them, too, without stepping on the toes of the Arkham Asylum figures. It could be definitely interesting. 
if they were to end up figuring out a way to do that. I just, I at this point, don't see it happening. All right, next up, Mexico Toys had their booth, and they had a number of different items on display, which you can check out the pictures. Really, the newest item that they've, they they revealed for the first time was the Batwing um, in the Mezitz line. On July 22nd, Mattel had their Matty Palooza panel, and there was not really a whole lot of news regarding Batman, but they did talk about the future of the DC Universe Classics line. Now, it seems that the fan favorites, along with the figures made for collectors, are not selling very well at retail locations, so the line will continue to exist in retail stores without the fan favorites. Now, this means we'll probably see more mainstream characters like Superman, Green Lantern, Batman, and the villains that are also more well-known. But the fan favorites that were added into the line that are selling very well, such as Power Girl, Big Barda, the Metal Men, Pharaoh. There's a bunch of characters. Whenever I go to the store, I always see the same exact one. Those are always some of them. Those were the fan favorites they were referring to. Mattel is creating a Club Infinite Earth subscription program for fans where you will get a total of, I believe, 12 figures a year. Basically, the subscription plan for a year comes out to, I think, 220 something dollars a year. You're guaranteed at least 12 different figures in that time frame, as well as three oversized figures and some extra added bonuses. They also have announced that Poison Ivy will be part of that line as well. That'll be the first time she's ever been released in DC Universe Classics form. This is where the, the non-mainstream figures are going to continue to appear, and they will only be on MaddieCollector.com. Now, some of the figures will also be available online, not through the subscription plan, but not all of them. So if you're interested in the subscription plan, time is time is running out for you to get in on that. And so far, based on everything that's been seen, the subscription plan isn't taking off as well as they would have hoped. So if you are interested in the DC Universe Classics and getting more of the lesser-known characters that aren't necessarily mainstream, that is your option for now. All right, and then the other panel at Comic-Con that was related to merchandise was the Mattel and DC panel, which was held on July 22nd. There was a bunch of different news for this panel related to Batman, so I'm going to roll through some of this pretty quickly. Actually, this is probably the biggest news for John. Mattel has actually formed a partnership with Diamond Distribution to distribute DC figures in Europe. Yay! <laughs> the f- oh, these are impossible to get hold of. Thank you. Somebody listened to my rants about things in Europe. And I would hope that at the same time, some of these other... Uh companies to figure out that this, there's a huge market in Europe to, to get these figures out there and also jump on board with you know finding a distribution method of getting things overseas. This is just the first first sign of that. All right, in regards to the Fisher Price line, Fisher Price will be releasing a line based off the DC superheroes including Batman, Batgirl, and Joker. And these are already actually in stores now. They have been spotted in Target and Toys R Us. And they're more for kids within the age ranges of one year to four years, kind of branching them to the next line of figures, which is the Imagine X line, and then so forth and so on. So now at this point, from the time your child is 12 months old, you can have Batman figures that are actually age-appropriate for them. All right, moving on, Batman Brave and the Bold line will continue through 2012, specifically because that's... 
when they are expected, because even though the series has actually been announced, it is no longer continuing, they will be continuing to put out the figures because they do sell. The action figure series line was also announced, and it seems to be the replacement for the Batman Brave and the Bold Action League series. With the TV series coming to an end, Batman will still be in the series, but it will feature a number of other DC characters, including packs featuring modern comic stories such as Flashpoint, including Flashpoint Batman. So that's interesting to see how quickly that's happening. No word on when those are actually going to be in stores, but they did have them on display at the Mattel booth. Next up, the biggest line for Batman is Batman Legacy, and we've heard some things here and there about the series, but there was a number of different things mentioned about this. Catman and Golden Age Batman were confirmed for the Batman Legacy line. There will be different packaging for the Batman Legacy line based off of the incarnation that the set of figures is depicted on. So essentially what that means is if it's from the comics, it has a specific comic book themed package. If it's from the video games such as Batman Arkham Asylum or Batman Arkham City, it has packaging based off of the video games. If it's based off of characters from the recent Batman movies, the packaging is based off of that, which... I find very unique and very interesting. I think it's kind of cool. Kmart will have a Batmite as an exclusive with the Golden Age Batman. Fall 2011 will see the release of the Batman Arkham City figures, including Batman, Two-Face, Joker, and the never-before-announced Robin. But if you pay attention to the website, we did announce that at some point that there was most likely going to be a Robin figure. Confirmation to the exclusive Batman Arkham City figure at Toys R Us with purchase of the game. The figure will be Batman in the 1970s Batsuit, similar to the character skin that will be featured in the game. It was also confirmed that buying the game at Toys R Us will give you a code for the unlockable skin in the game for the same Batsuit. There are no plans for a Batmobile in the line yet, but that doesn't mean there won't be. Batman Legacy 2-packs will see features from The Dark Knight and Batman Begins, including the never-before-released Jim Gordon and the Joker Police Honor Guard. And the line is planned to last longer than two waves. A lot of people were thinking that, well, it was really hinted that the series was kind of the link between the, the Dark Knight movie master figures and the upcoming as we would assume, the Dark Knight Rises movie master figures. But this is supposed to kind of we all assumed that they were supposed to kind of link the two together, and then by bringing in figures for Batman Arkham City, as well as the comics, as well as the films, it's an interesting line, and based off the fact that they're going to have more than two waves, means it could continue past the release of the movie, so these, this series could actually continue in conjunction with the new figures for the, for the Dark Knight Rises. Alright, moving along to DC Universe Classics. DC Universe Classic 2-pack featuring Joker and Harley Quinn will be exclusive at Toys R Us and will be available this fall. DC Universe Classics 5-pack featuring Owl Man will be exclusively at Walmart in late summer 2011. Young Justice will see fall 2011. will have basic figures in Young Justice line released, including Stealth Robin, Black Canary, and Sportsmaster. Spring 2012 will see a basic figure for Robin. Fall 2011, we'll see the release of Batman and Robin 2-pack. And in Fall 2011, 6-inch figures will see Robin. And in, in Spring 2012, we will see Sportsmaster. So lots of different figures for Young Justice kind of spaced out between Spring and Fall. So that is all of that news. Lots of merchandise news related to everything going on at Comic-Con, specifically with all the new partnerships 
and the panels and a lot of the news coming from Mattel. Looks like there's going to be plenty of merchandise for us all to purchase in the coming months. And it seems that they're really, really aiming heavily at young fans. I don't think I've ever seen a Fisher-Price Batman line. I think that's that's excellent to get them started young. So that is all the merchandise news. Next up, we have video game news. Again, a ton of video game news, a lot of it referring to Batman Arkham City. So we'll breeze through some of it, some of it we'll spend a little bit more time on. There's also a little bit of news about the video game Gotham City Imposters, which at this point I am not really looking forward to, but we'll still discuss the news. And then obviously some news from Comic-Con as well. So first up, on July 1st, Warner Brothers and Rock City sent over about 12 minutes of footage from Batman Arkham City. And the clip actually features Jack Ryder, Catwoman, Two-Face, Batman, and even a little Joker. So you can check that out on YouTube. That is posted on there, as well as the website. On July 5th, the color version of Robin was posted online, and it definitely stays true to the colors of Robin. It's just the cape is really the, the one addition that seems to throw some people off. I think it looks amazing, though. On July 11th, there was a trailer that hit the net for Batman Arkham City featuring the Riddler. Not a whole lot of new footage other than, you know, a couple of actual images, or not images, but actual clips of the, of the Riddler, since we haven't really seen the Riddler ever in actual form other than a screenshot up until this, this release. You can check that out on the website as well. On July 13th, during the, the release of Batman Arkham City, the digital chapter number four, there was an actual couple panels of Robin being featured in his in the outfit that he'll appear in the video game you can check out pictures of that it just shows that Tim Drake as Robin in this new suit does work out pretty well and I, I would not be surprised if we see future incarnations of Robin's suit based off of this very similar style of from Batman Arkham City on July 14th Comics Alliance released a black and white render of Two-Face as he will appear in Batman Arkham City. Uh, on July 19th, Warner Brothers, along with Rock City, released the contents of the collector's edition for Batman Arkham City. It will come with a collectible art book, early access to the Iceberg Lounge challenge map, and Batman the Dark Knight Return skin, Batman Arkham City album from Water Tower Music, along with songs by hit artists available via digital redemption. And bonus DC Universe animated original movie, Batman Gotham Knight, as well as a custom Batman statue produced by Kotobukiya. So lots of stuff, not just... It's a little bit different than what we saw with the release of Batman Arkham Asylum. We had the Batarang and the Arkham Journal. This is more of a wide variety of different things. Lots of codes for different things within the game. An actual entire feature-length film, Batman Gotham Knight a soundtrack, a statue, lots of stuff, and it, it, 
by the looks of it, it's going to be around the same price as the collector's edition of Arkham Asylum. This looks really, really good. I think that I know they took quite a heavy beating last time over the quality of what was in Arkham Asylum collector's edition, which was the Batarang and, as you say, the, the journal. And I, I didn't really feel it was worth fifty pounds of my money. Uh, but if this is going to be fifty pounds, I'll make sure I pre-order this. It's such a fantastic wide variety of stuff. Movie I've already got, so I'm not too interested in, in that. But the music I think is a really nice touch because the music in the last one was fantastic. So if if they put the movie the music in from this game, then I think that's a really really smart move and definitely worth getting hold of. It sounds like they've gone out of their way to add on things that fans would be interested in as opposed to, say, what I heard was a fairly not great Batarang and the Arkham Journal. It sounds like they have tried to make this worth that extra money that they want you to put out for the game, for the collector's edition. I definitely think so. And if you think about it, the items that they're putting in this collector's edition, there's something for everybody. There's something for the video game fan with the the, the, the character skins and the, ch- the downloadable challenge maps. There's something for music fans with the soundtrack and songs, redemption codes. There's something for movie fans with for, with the inclusion of Batman Gotham Knight. There's something for merchandise fans with the inclusion of the actual statue from Kotobukiya. I would definitely agree with that. I think they've, they've done a lot better job at kind of in some senses, mishmashing a bunch of different things together to release in this set, and I think it, I think it's gonna be worthwhile. And you're not gonna get some really stupid fans like last time asking if you can detach the batarang and throw it around. Yeah, that is true. Wow. And, and but one of the things you know that's interesting is that a lot of this has to do with the fact that Warner Brothers is actually the distributor of the game. Because they have the rights to Batman Gotham Knight, they can include it in there. Water Tower Rec- Music is actually Warner Brothers' record label, so they can include that as well. And, you know, they have the licensing deal with Kotobukiya. So you can see a lot more avenues coming together to put things out, with Mattel also putting out action figures based off the game. There's a lot, like Warner Brothers is doing, starting to do a very good job at, you know, cross-promoting a lot of different things with the, their different releases. So July 20th, more details about Gotham City's imposters were revealed. IGN obtained the not only the release date, which was stated as winter of 2012, which we, which was suspected to be late 2012, but that was later undetermined. So we'll go over that a little bit later. But the game will actually cost you $15 for PlayStation and 1,200 Microsoft points on Xbox, and you will support up to 12 players online. So if you are interested in a game that has nothing but Batman in name, then that's the game for you. Otherwise, I suggest you continue to play Batman Arkham City once that's released. On July 20th, at San Diego Comic-Con, we found out about the Toys R Us exclusive Batman figure, which at the same point, the reason why it was video game news was because of the actual downloadable skin based off of the classic 70s comic book appearance in, in the actual Batman comics that will be available based off of that pre-order of the game through Toys R Us. On July 21st, despite all odds, Gotham City Imposters continues to put out more information and 
they released a new trailer for the game in addition to confirming the actual release date, which is going to be early 2012. So I would suspect February, March is when this game is going to be available. But again, I don't see who's going to be buying it. At least Batman makes an appearance in the trailer, kind of swinging. Across, yeah, and then kind just, of. <laughs> just disappears. <laughs> That's literally, I think, all he has to do this game. Don't, I'm not bothering. I, I couldn't care less. But the figure looks amazing. And now, of course, it means I've got to buy two versions. I've got to go to Toys R Us and get that one. And I've got to get the special edition. Also at San Diego on July 21st, the, there was a panel for Batman Arkham City. And the panel itself was star-studded. Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy were both in attendance, along with Stan Akkadik. Stan Akkadik will be voicing the character Talia al Ghul in the game. Now, we don't know anything about Talia's role in the game other than she's in the game. We've seen some art based off of her character, but uh, we don't know a whole lot about the role she'll play in the game. The panel did offer a little bit of new information, including that the Talia bit, but also that... It seems that Penguin has Solomon Grundy locked in the basement of the Iceberg Lounge in Arkham City. There was a new trailer that was made available as well, which you can also see on the website. It shows Solomon Grundy in the basement of the Iceberg Lounge, so that was pretty cool. We also have interviews with Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill, and Stan Akkadik on the website and YouTube for you to check out in relation to their work on Batman Arkham City. And then there was an actual press release released on July 23rd, two days after the fact, about Stan Akkadik voicing Talia Ghul in the game, but again, no more information was given about her actual role in the game. Moving into the last couple things of Batman news, for video game news, on July 26th, it was discovered a Penguin audio tape. Now... We've talked about audio tapes in the past. During E3, there was a couple different cassettes that made it to a couple different websites, video game-related websites, specifically in regards to kind of like interview tapes between Hugo Strange and a specific character in the game. And this one was The Penguin. You can play the video on the website. It doesn't reveal a whole lot other than just a little bit more information about Penguin that we kind of already knew. And... Finally, the last bit of news we have comes on July 29th. A couple of different things were revealed. There was a Joker interview tape that was also released through Got Game, and they revealed the tape online as well, so you can check that out. It was revealed that there will be a Batman Beyond character skin released for people who pre-order the game through GameStop in the UK, and at some point will most likely be available to the US as well. And the last bit comes from the game's, the, the actual game, Batman Arkham City's Twitter account, posted news that The Edge, a magazine in UK, posted up a bunch of information about Batman Arkham City, and as it turns out that Bane inside the game will actually have a very different role than he did in Batman Arkham Asylum. He'll actually be teaming up with Batman at some point in the game against the Tiger Guards. And there's a screenshot of that online as well. So this is another way that I think they're bringing Bane back into the picture with instead of just being some generic boss that Batman has to fight, you know, Bane's actually going to be teaming up with Batman. So again, they're just raising the profile of Bane, making him a more known character, giving him a bit more of a backstory. Exactly. 
so that is all video game news. Let's move into our last category of news, general news. As we all know, criminals are a superstitious, cowardly lot. They plan and plot, but they always get caught. Their evil schemes all come to naught. A superstitious, cowardly lot. It took me weeks to get tickets for this show. It's Shway. It's Schwarbage. Now, really, the only general news that came out within the month of July was some things about San Diego, which at this point aren't, aren't really news. They released some images of some exclusives for the DC comic booth. There were some Wayne casino chips, and they also showed off pictures of the Warner Brothers bags that were going to be handed out two registrants at Comic-Con, including a Batman Arkham City one and a bag featuring the new Justice League that will be coming out in September. Besides that, the big news was Batman Live. Not only did Batman Live post a bunch of videos online about the actual performance and some behind-the-scenes things, but there was also, it actually premiered in England for the first time on July 19th. So we have a press release on that, I'm not going to go into details on it, but Batman Live is currently making its way across England, and there's some images from opening night online as well. By the time you listen to this on the website, Austin Beatty, who some of you know as Swap Star, actually attended the, the Batman Live performance and has a review that will be posted on the website by the time you listen to this podcast. So you can check that out to kind of get an idea, especially if you're overseas or if you're in North America and you're interested in what could be coming here next summer, that's also an opportunity for you to check that out as well. I'm not going to go see this. The videos don't make it look brilliant. And reading the reviews over here, it's got really mixed reviews. Some people say it's amazing and other people have said it's, it's terrible. I, I think I'm going to avoid it like the plague, to be honest. It just doesn't appeal to me at all, um, and I can't see it being that amazing. If it comes near me, I will go see it. I don't think it's something that I would travel out of my way to see, but I like live shows. I, I'll drag my best friend to it. I will definitely be seeing it once it comes overseas. I'm sure it will make its way to Chicago, and I will definitely see it. And I'm going to watch it in a non-so expectant light. I'm not, I'm not going to compare it to something that we've already seen with either the Nolan films or the comics. You also have to keep in mind that it's it's more of a family-oriented type thing, which I completely understand. There's a whole market of people that Batman can really reach besides people in their teens and their 20s and so forth and so on with the Nolan films and the comics, which is really what they're appealing more towards with those items. And I think this live-action tour is really going to present a lot more to the families and younger children who are going to find it really interesting. So I'm looking forward to it just for that aspect. All right, so that is all of our news. Lots of news, like I said. I'm sure August is not going to have nearly as much news. One thing that we are going to cut out starting this episode just because it's one of those things where, well, for a couple reasons. We're, We're going to be cutting out the rumor mill for two reasons. Number one, at this point, there's so many different rumors that are happening. We can almost probably do an hour and a half long episode specifically about the rumors for the month. But also at the same point, the, the rumors are being told one day and the next day being debunked 
or a week later we're finding out clashing information from a rumor before and it's very hard to discuss some of those rumors within a month's time frame and having to like redo and and not talk about certain rumors and things like that so it's becoming too, too big of a thing to cover on the podcast but that doesn't mean that we're not covering the rumors there's tons of rumors going on every day for the most part at this point there's almost a rumor mill article posted on the website once a day at night based off of the rumors throughout the day that were gathered i write the article myself and I, I do a good job of posting up pictures and videos to go with it. Filming beginning in Pittsburgh, there's tons of things coming out. Uh, I'm sure that uh, by, the, at, by the time you, you're hearing this, you've already seen pictures of Catwoman and Bane and the Tumblers and all this and the Bat Pod as well as Batman. So I'm sure there's all kinds of things that you can get your fix for The Dark Knight Rises on the website looking under any article in the movie editorial section entitled Dark Knight Rumor Mill because those, like I said, I'm posting one practically almost every day with everything that's coming out from Pittsburgh as well as all the filming all over the place once Pittsburgh is done. So refer to the website for that. I know there's going to be some people out there who are also going to be extremely disappointed that we're not going to discuss some of these. But the other issue is that some of the rumors are starting to be more spoilerish. I don't necessarily want to ruin anything for anybody, so if you want to know about them, I direct you to the website so that you can find out and read about them on the website so that we don't ruin the film for anybody out there who doesn't want to be ruined. Like Justin Bieber being Robin. Oh, I'm so excited about that. (laughs) I I thought so, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. All right, so with that, we're going to move into our spotlight character. Like I said earlier, it's going to be Mad Hatter. So let's go through the Mad Hatter. Now, this is a game more to my liking. Are you the famous Batman so intent upon destroying my happiness that you'll harm these poor, mind-warped innocents to get me? Jervis Tech was deeply influenced by Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. The psychologically fragile man took dressing like the book's Mad Hatter on Earth 2 and tried to rob a trophy from the Gotham Yacht Club. He was thwarted by Batman with the event chronicled by the photojournalist Vicki Vale. This was in Batman number 49 from October 1948. On Earth 1, Tetch was an obsessive-compulsive man inspired by Carol's works, who also committed crimes dressed as the Mad Hatter. The manic criminal failed at his efforts and was remanded to Arkham Asylum. Whilst he was incarcerated, a man posing as both Tetch and the Mad Hatter committed other crimes, but a freed Tetch later claimed to have killed his impersonator. The real Tetch acquired a monkey as a pet in addition to a machine that was said to erase memories. And that's in Detective Comics 510, January 1982. The imposter was never named and showed fewer psychological problems, although he too seemed obsessed with headgear and made a sport of collecting hats. His goal was Batman's cowl, something he obtained only after spraying it with a radioactive substance, forcing the caped crusader to remove it. That spray proved to be traceable, allowing Batman and Robin to ultimately apprehend the criminal. That was in Detective Comics 230, April 1956. The imposter proved to still be alive years later when he came back to plague Tetch and Batman. That was in Detective Comics 573 in April 1987. After his defeat at Batman's hands, Tetch 
continued to acquire and refine machinery that would give him mastery over others and a physical manifestation of his own delusional mind. Through the years, Tetch proved to have a shaky grasp on reality, constantly quoting from Carroll's works and displaying insane rages when crossed. With this equipment, Tetch had briefly controlled first the Scarecrow and then Lucius Fox. In the reality after the events of Crisis on Infinite Earth, Tetch arrived early in Batman's career, right after Dick Grayson debuted as Robin. His first scheme was to gain control over teenagers across Gotham City via a piece of technology he implanted in portable music devices. Tetch handed out the altered devices at Grayson's school, with his ultimate goal being to sell the captured children to Generalissimo Lee, a third world leader. Robin saw to it that the plan failed. That's in Robin, year one, 2000 to 2001. For the next decade, the Mad Hatter tried scheme after scheme, only to be defeated and imprisoned on numerous occasions. He appeared to prefer working alone, usually avoiding any gathering of Batman's major foes. With each defeat, though, he seemed to grow even more psychotic, making him even deadlier. At one point, he escaped Arkham, getting shot in the process, and nearly dying. And that was in Gotham Central number 21 in September 2004. Upon his recovery, though, he pledged his loyalty to Black Mask, who ruled Gotham's underworld at a time, and that was in Detective Comics number 800 from January 2005. After Black Mask was killed, the Great White Shark seized the reins of powers from his cell at Arkham. Tetch transferred his loyalty and helped frame Harvey Dent, who was protecting Gotham during the year Batman was out of the city, in Detective Comics 810 October 2005. Later, the Mad Hatter was invited by Catman to join the Secret Six, a band of villains opposed to the Society of Supervillains. That's in Secret Six, second series, July to December 2006. Alright, and as far as media appearances that the Mad Hatter's had, he's actually had a wide variety of media appearances. His first appearance was in Batman the TV series from the 1960s. He appeared in the cartoon The Batman Superman Hour, an episode... He appeared in Batman the Animated Series, Batman the Brave and the Bold, Superman the Animated Series. Recently, for video games, he's appeared in The Adventures of Batman and Robin, Lego Batman the Video Game, Batman Arkham Asylum, and DC Universe Online. So, Mad Hatter is one of those characters where he's not necessarily an unknown. He's definitely had a wide variety of appearances around very wide range of times. It's just one of those characters where if you don't hear anything about him for quite some time, you kind of forget about him. And I think Mad Hatter is one of those characters where we haven't heard anything about him for a while. So I thought it would be an interesting character as well as the person who emailed us asking us to do the Mad Hatter. So that is the Mad Hatter. The truth is, none of us would have turned to crime if it had not been for Batman. We were helpless, lost souls, crying out for understanding. What we got was our beating from a self-righteous madman. Our civil rights were clearly abused. Now that we finally know the face behind the mask, we demand justice, we demand satisfaction. We demand money! Yeah! Quite so. On advice from legal counsel, we have launched a billion-dollar lawsuit. If a bat's on a spree, Wayne must pay the fee. So, let's move into our feature, which, as I said, is going to kind of be a discussion about Comic-Con. I'm going to open it up to questions from John and Melinda, and I'm going to try to answer the questions about Comic-Con in general. So, take it away. 
Yes, you've got a question? I always felt Batman was best suited in the role of gritty urban crime detective, but now you guys have him up against Santas and Easter bunnies? I'm sorry, but that's not my Batman. My first question is about Young Justice and The Brave and the Bold. Did anybody actually ask why, and did they give a reason why it's kind of dropped off the schedules at all? Do they know? Um, the, the specifics on it was that, well, the people on the panel was Brandon Vietti, Greg Wiseman, who are the producers of the show, the concept artists slash art directors, and then Danica McKellar. So when there was a question posed about what's the deal with the episodes dropping off and part of it was the point that they tried to make was they prematurely released the series before they had the entire first season made which normally isn't done normally the entire first season is 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 already gone through the phases of getting the actual animation complete and just having to do the, like the final touches and things like that before they actually release the series and they launched it earlier because of the, the hype from Comic-Con last year as well as New York Comic-Con last year. And there was a lot of hype and a lot of real good talk about it, so they wanted to get it out there as soon as possible. So that was part of the reason. The other problem is that, well, it's not really a problem, but they said specifically they don't have a lot of control over when Cartoon Network actually airs the things. And that's as far as that was. So, but they did say that we can expect to see the remaining 10 episodes later this year and then the new season starting early 2012. And that's yes. that's unless Cartoon Network decides, no, we're just going to bump it for something else again. Right. I mean, what they specifically said was that season two is set to premiere spring of 2012, which means between now and spring of 2012, we have to be able to see the other 10 episodes. Now, I assume that Cartoon Network is most likely going to probably start the second half of the season come September because Cartoon Network even though it is cartoons they do have this they do have somewhat of a season premiere type schedule I know Thundercats which is a new show that Warner Brothers Animation is also working on they just started that series recently I think actually this weekend the weekend after Comic Con so I think the, the problem is that Cartoon Network wants to build hype around certain things and only certain things at a certain time so Young Justice, you know, they've started to just air episodes, not not new episodes, but they've started to air the episodes. And I think by the time the end of August comes around, they're going to be on episode five, which means we could, if they continue to air them in row, could see a new episode as early as the uh, third or fourth week of September. Was there a good reaction to the clips that they showed at it? Well, it wasn't the clips. They actually showed the full episode, the full entire episode of what the next episode is going to be which is that targets episode it feature it's more of a story about red arrow there was a great reaction i mean the the panel was was packed it was a it could the the panel room could hold 750 people i believe that's the number that they said and it was packed and there was a giant line still wrapped around the, the room for people trying to get in it was unbelievable how how many people the, the surprising thing is it was actually in a smaller room than the year prior because the year prior they was they were promoting Batman Brave and the Bold and Young Justice was kind of just like the add-on at the end of the Batman Brave and the Bold panel. There was a lot more people for Batman Brave and the Bold 
because the room was much larger. But I think that's because, again, it was... And that's not necessarily planning by, by Warner Brothers. I think that's more of a planning by the actual people who put on the convention. But I'm sure that that, that room could have... They could have easily gotten another room, probably more of like a 1,200 type attendance, and still been able to fill it up because of the popularity of that. There was people dressed as Young Justice characters all over the place, from you know older older people in their 30s to kids to teenagers to mid 20s. There was tons of people dressed as the characters from Young Justice specifically in the costumes from Young Justice 2, not just, oh, somebody's dressed as Robin. They actually were wearing the same costume that Robin actually wears in the TV series. So Young Justice is one of those things where it has the potential to be as great as Justice League, and the overarching story is one of those big things. And I think this year was a good show of how popular it is and really like a wake-up call for Warner Brothers to realize how popular it is. You said you interviewed Benjamin McKenzie for Batman Year One. Did he say what he did kind of to figure out his Bruce versus Batman characterizations? He didn't specifically say what he what he did to kind of do the difference. They actually screened the film there, and you can tell that there is a slight difference between the voices. But more of it's, you know, he kind of just lowers his octave for the, the Batman voices compared to the Bruce Wayne. There's also a lot of times there's you don't actually you're not actually hearing Bruce Wayne talk, you're you're hearing his thoughts and it's narrated like you would like you actually read the comic where you know you see a bunch of things happening but the, there's an overall narration and that's coming more from the Bruce Wayne voice and that's where the Bruce Wayne voice is you hear more. But I think it's really just comes down to he's lowering his octave for Batman to make his voice sound much deeper and a little bit more menacing i would imagine yeah how did the film seem just as an aside the movie has the potential to be the best batman animated film ever and i say that with high regards to both batman beyond return of the joker which is one of my favorite films as well as batman mask of the phantasm because those are great films batman mask of the phantasm is an amazing film and you know it it's been very difficult for Batman films to be better than previous Batman films because of the lengths they go to make the films as great as they do. But Batman Year One, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Frank Miller in general, but I, I appreciate what he's done for the character and I can appreciate the stories that he tells when they're not extremely crazy, which is all-star Batman and the boy Wonder. <laughs> but with that being said... This was before he got into the craziness, and I can appreciate the story, and they did an amazing job at staying extremely true to the actual film. There was like one scene out of the entire four issues of the comic that were, was actually cut out, and honestly, the scene that they cut out, it was, it was Bruce scheme through Switzerland, and it was one of those things where they probably didn't need to keep it anyway, so it really didn't matter that it was cut out, but... They did a really good job at you know, keeping the dialogue as close to the source material and as well as the animation style as close to the source material as possible. And I got to say, the, the voice actors did an amazing job. Every single one of them, very good job. Brian Cranston, I would have never even imagined this guy doing something related to animation, much less Batman film. 
but he was perfect for the role of Jim Gordon. Overall, it was, it was amazing. The, it was packed for the screening. Again, it was a ginormous line to see the film. Uh, it was just amazing. Does it does it work? Does it come off that way? I think it does. I mean, it, it's not as gritty as David Mazzucchelli's art. Definitely not as gritty as his. And it's definitely not as, as uh, dark and line-heavy as his art either. But at the same point, it does... The style of it is what really is the focus, I think, for the people who are actually doing the animation. You know, I mean, I can. There's there's a couple clips specifically in the trailer, even that you can see that you can look at the trailer or you can look at the clip, pause it, look at the comic, and you can actually figure out exactly where it's coming from because it's not just it's 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 a lot to do with the style, but also has to do with the actual scenes and how they how they are put together. And I know Bruce Tim did say this, that, you know, there's no need to make a storyboard for the film because they essentially just pulled out the comic and said, here's a storyboard. I think that was something they mentioned in the making of featurette that I saw, too. They said that a lot of times they just based a scene from a panel and animated between the panels, almost. Um, but that there were certain scenes where the, they couldn't animate the panels just because of David Mazzucchelli's styling. How does um, Catwoman come across in it as well? How uh, like her vocalization and, and and her story? I think Catwoman's story works well. They they stuck true to the uh, the prostitute bit that was in Batman Year One, which was one of those things where I didn't think they would, but at the same point because it has the PG thirteen rating, they can stick to it and hold true to it. Um, the interesting thing is, you know. If you've read Batman Year One, you know that Catwoman doesn't have this huge role in the story. She has a role, and she plays her role, and it plays off in the story, but for the most part, she doesn't have a ginormous role in the story. And I think because of that, it doesn't really do the character as much justice as it could. So to find out that they were doing the Catwoman short really gave it more more props to do, you know, to, to better enhance the character that they they created for this the, for this film by have, giving the character a lot more focus in her own short. Now, they didn't show the shorts, but uh, we did find out from Warner Brothers when we were there that at New York Comic Con, they'll actually be premiering the short for Catwoman as well. What about the portrayal of Sarah Essen? The character has a role. It's very specific for the story, but they don't go outside of what you would read in the issue or in the issues themselves. I think Katie Sackhoff was an interesting to- choice for the character and I don't I, I definitely don't want to badmouth anybody and this is probably going to sound like I am coming across as badmouthing but when we were interviewing her she told this story about she called Sarah Essen's character a hooker and I'm sitting there behind the camera as Stella from our sister site Backer Oracle is interviewing her and I'm just sitting there thinking Sarah Essen's not a hooker. I I don't even know where she would get that from, other than yeah, she's sleeping with Jim Gordon. But I didn't. I couldn't even comprehend where she got that from. So I don't know if she was confusing her role with the Catwoman role because Catwoman is a prostitute in the film. I don't know exactly where she was getting confused, but she said that she called Sarah Essence a hooker, 
and somebody got really upset with her because she called her that and said, well, she's not a hooker. And she goes, oh, well, I guess she's just a home wrecker, which, yes, is more true. But I still, to this, I can't figure out where she could even get Hooker from based off of just reading the series or watching the film. So it's that was interesting and, and kind of threw me off. And But, yeah, she, uh, interesting character. I, it's one of those things where you have to wonder about the idea of getting certain people to voice different characters if it was more because of their link to the fan community. Not necessarily Batman fans, but just fans. They have a fan base, and they link a character to a voice that has a fan base. Because Katie Sackhoff is really well known for Battlestar Galactica, and has a huge fan base because of that. And it would really be unfortunate if that was the reason why she got the job. Didn't really know a lot about the character, so that that's one thing that I had to kind of question when. When she said the, the comment about Sarah Essen being a hooker. Yeah, wow. But she does a good job voice-wise. That's good to hear. For the most part, like I said, everyone does a very good job. I think Brian Cranston is really the, the guy who outshines everybody as far as voice goes. Because his voice is probably the most perfect voice for Jim Gordon. And everybody else, well, like Ben McKenzie does a good job. I think that they, they might have been able to get somebody better. But honestly, in my mind, I can't think of somebody who could have worked it better. Kevin Conroy would not have worked for this film just because Bruce Wayne and Batman are supposed to be a very younger version of the character, not somebody who's experienced, which Kevin Conroy has that experienced voice. Even if it's not years and years of experience, it still comes across as he's, you know, he veteran in, in some senses. Going slightly off the, off the films, um, aside from the fact that now we can actually have Batman take on Wolverine. Did Lego announce or say any more about what they plan to do with both the DC Lego and the Lego Heroes thing in general? Now see, Lego themselves didn't actually have a panel and they've never had a panel. They've always had a booth as long as I've been going there for the last three years, but they've never actually had a panel. I don't blame them because I don't know how they could fill an hour, hours worth of time with news, and I don't know that they have a fan base that's that's that they could actually get a panel and have it completely filled because of, of the information. I mean, there's some properties that Lego deals with, and they could talk about the Lego video games that they've got in store upcoming and things like that, but I think for the most part, they stick to the booth and it's either press releases or things like that. They didn't specifically say anything in regards to, you know, when any of the the DC Universe Lego stuff was coming out. I believe it was in the press release from Warner Brothers that stated that it was supposed to be they were supposed to, were supposed to start seeing the Lego DC Universe stuff early 2012. So like within a matter of months from now, we could be seeing things. There was a Wonder Woman figure and a Superman figure which we didn't post pictures of but also included with those Batman figures that were that were shown. They didn't show off any sets or or ideas other than just those few little Lego people figures and then the Hero Factory figures as well. They had for Marvel they had a Hulk and an Iron Man and then they had the Batman and somebody else. I think it was a Green Lantern if I'm not mistaken, but I mean for the most part they they're not there to really go crazy and announce a ton of things because they don't use Comic-Con like that. 
really it's they they have a Lego store that has things you can buy, but they didn't have any of like the Batman Lego stuff. Although if I did see it, I probably would have forked out a ton of money for that stuff. It was really more of a you know, it was the press release came out the day before. They also had this big thing where they were going to be re- releasing these little Lego figures based off of Green Lantern and Batman, which turned out to be one of the most difficult things to find at the convention because they were so difficult to come by because they didn't, I don't think they realized how popular these these little figures were going to be. And because of that, it turned into this big thing where by the time Sunday rolled around, they were handing out raffle tickets to a line of you know a couple hundred people to try to give away like 15 of these little figures it, it got pretty crazy it got really crazy and I think they kind of underestimated that but based off of just the, the, the turnout for those two little free figures I would hope that they realized that you know the Legos based off of the DC Universe and the Marvel Universe I think they're gonna. This is a line that's gonna do very well, and I hope that they're really preparing for it in a good way. I imagine we'll probably first see some Justice League stuff instead of some specific like Batman or Superman things. I'm sure maybe once the movies come out, they'll maybe have some sets based more off the movies. That's I don't know. I mean, they did that with Harry Potter with the films, and I could see them doing that again. But I think Justice League is going to be one of the first ones because that'll be able to showcase a wide variety of the different characters both superheroes and villains did mattel expand any more on what they were going to bring to europe action figure wise because at the moment we get nothing but the the brave and the bold and some of the old batman figures you can find them did they say how what they were bringing and how they were distributing is it going into like toys r us or into specialist shops some of this is probably going to be kind of an assumption, which we know what assume means. But they did specifically say that it was Diamond Diamond Distribution, which is the same company that distributes comics in the U.S. They also obviously distribute comics overseas as well. So I imagine that the figures will end up in comic shops and not so much at like Toys R Us or the retail stores, but more of the comic shops. And I know that's also a problem because the, the comic shops are you know few and far between and they're spread out. And that's going to present a problem. But I think by getting them at least there will give the opportunity for maybe the retail market to see that it's something worthwhile and maybe expand on that element. Um, they, they Really, the, they didn't say specifically what will be brought over, but at this point I would assume that it would probably be the DC Universe Classics line after Wave 20 because Wave 20 is the last one that has the fan favorites, and then everything after that is supposed to be like the mainstream things for retail, because I can't imagine them shipping a lot of the fan favorite characters that are lesser known overseas and expecting them to sell. I imagine the Batman Legacy line is going to be a huge thing because of not only Rocksteady being in England and having figures based off of that video game, but the video game is going to be very big in other markets besides America, and by getting the action figures over there, it's almost like a sure thing for a sale. So I imagine the Batman Legacy line would be the perfect thing to bring over because especially if it's in comic book shops, that's a more appropriate place for the, that line. Batman Brave the Bold could be, at the, could be at a comic shop, but it's not going to appeal towards a person who's going into a comic shop to buy a comic. 
it's going to appeal more towards children who may be going in there with their parents but aren't going to be as prominent customers as the people for like the Batman Legacy line. So you'll have to tell us once comic shops actually have some of the stuff what they actually bring over. I, I well, I'm going to get on it. I'm going to be hammering my comic book store's door down at the haze. I mean, the big thing is I would make sure that the comic book shop actually uses Diamond Distribution because, I mean, if they get the comics decent time frame of when they actually are released, then there's a good chance that they have that distribution method and it's not some off distribution method. And as long as they have that, most likely they'll have the ability to get the figures just like... It, it comes back to a preview magazine. There's this magazine that's put out every single month at comic shops and inside the magazine is a list of not only all the comics that are coming out in three months but also all of the new merchandise that's announced as well i know that this works in the states because my comic shop works this way anything that's in that magazine i can get for myself no matter what it is based off as long as it appears in that magazine because i give my comic book store the code and say well this is what i want from the magazine and then they say, okay, and then they can order it, and then the distribution people bring it specifically to the store because they know it's going to sell. Because I'm pre-ordering this, essentially. So I know that works with a lot of the DC Direct things. I've seen other things. I know that the Eagle Moss characters that are exclusively in the UK and Australia and Ireland, I know that those figures have made their way over to the States because they've been distributed in by... Diamond Distribution, which is the same company that does that previews magazine, because I saw them in the previews magazine. Actually, my comic shop has some of those figures, even though they are extremely overpriced. We're talking like $40 a pop. So it's one of those things where it, I think if you are in England or if you're in another country that, that has comics and you're having a problem, I, the big thing would be trying to find out who's the, the distributor for your, for the comics to your comic shop. Because if it's Diamond, chances are there's a lot of options of what you can and can't get. And the, the benefit is with Mattel actually doing the deal, that means Mattel figures are going to start appearing in the actual magazine, which means they'll be able to be ordered by the comic shops themselves. Did you manage to get a hold of one of the Wayne Casino chips? I unfortunately did not get one of the Wayne Casino chips because we were running around too much and they weren't giving them out like candy at the booth, which I knew that wasn't going to happen, but there was every time I walked over to the booth and they were actually handing them out, there was a giant line for them and there was just so many things to do at Comic-Con with all the panels and the interviews that we did that it was almost impossible. So I will probably end up forking out like $150 on eBay to get the complete set because, you know... There's those people who just stand in the line and all they do is they do it so they can they can sell them on eBay and I'll be one of the suckers who buys them on eBay. That is unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> there was only two things I cared about getting and when I went to Comic-Con this year. One was one of those little Batman Lego figures and one of, and I wanted to get a bunch of, I wanted to try to get a full set of those Wayne Casino chips. I unfortunately didn't get either one. And I didn't actually buy anything, but I, 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 I bought a, uh, a Flashpoint Batman t-shirt because I love the Batman shirts that have the bat, bat logo, symbol, bat emblem, I guess, chest. And I saw a Flashpoint one, and I said, you know, I got to find I gotta find that shirt. And they had it at one booth, and it was like $35, and I was like, I'm not paying $35 for a t-shirt. So I had to go to like four different t-shirt booths, but I finally found one in... That was the one thing I bought when I was at Comic-Con this year. I 
didn't spend a ton of money on actual uh, items this year. I kind of tried to stick a little bit more towards uh, the budget side, but that, that mostly was because there just was, you know, every year we tell ourselves we go with more people to cover things, and we go with, and we expect there to be less news, and it turns out there's more news than the year before, and and it's not a bad thing, trust me when I say it. it's not a bad thing to have tons of news to report from Comic-Con, but at the same point, it, really, it, it doesn't make it any easier to get any to get a ton of free time. No, and it's just getting bigger every year, I would imagine. Exactly. So the other cool thing was, one of the things you don't see on the website is that I actually got to meet Adam West, Burt Ward, and Julie Newmar. No way! Yeah, that and that was pretty cool. We were invited to a press thing for the Hub Network, which is, a, I guess, a TV channel that is our cable channel that's going to be re-airing Batman 60s TV series. I think two episodes a day is what they're doing now. And to promote the airing of these episodes that are coming to Cartoon Network, they actually had Adam West, Burt Ward, and Julie Newmar, which was really cool. Didn't actually do individual camera interviews, which we that's what we were hoping for, but they didn't. Instead, it was more of like a round table, and we were limited to how many people we could get in. So it was myself and Stella from back home, the Oracle, who, who went in. And it was it was kind of cool to hear, you know, some memories of the 60s series as well as some of the... I mean, for some of them, it was more about, you know, some of the different projects that they're working on now that, that they want to promote. Julia Newmar actually has a book coming out very shortly. It's it's actually currently out. It's just not on Amazon yet, and it's like a how-to book about all kinds of different things. Then Adam West has his own comic book through, uh, I think it's Blue Blue Image or Blue Water Comics or something like that. I think I've seen that. Yeah, it's called <laughs> The Misadventures of Adam West. Yeah. And, you know, he's still on Family Guy, <laughs> and he still does a little bit of voice acting on other shows. So, and then Burt Ward, his big thing with that was that he was talking about dog saving foundation that he has where he saves, well, he actually showed us a picture that was on his cell phone of his, his bedroom at his house with his wife. And they have, I, I'm not even joking when I say this, they had probably 75 dogs in the bedroom. And these are not small dogs. These are giant dogs that when they stand up on their hind legs are over seven feet tall. Wow. It was, it was insane. I, I don't know how I could live in a house with that many dogs, but he said on his property he had over 150 dogs that were that size, and it just blew blew everybody at the table's mind. But that was a lot of fun. We have a promo that they all gave us, too, which was one of those things where it was nice to get that because as sad as it will be when they all move on, they're not going to be with us forever. So to f- finally actually meet them and actually... I mean, I sat right next to every single one of them, so it was that was really cool, too. Aside from that, did you have a favorite panel or a favorite interviewee? Hmm, that's a good question. There was a bunch of different things that we did that didn't actually make it to the site because of, you know, the lack amount of material from it or whatever. There was some guys from AMD, which is the computer processor company. They actually were hosting a bunch of different things for the convention, and they have this really cool setup that has you can you can basically plug in six different computer monitors, make them all one giant monitor. And we saw I saw it for the first time last year with three monitors, and they had a setup of six monitors. 
And the reason why we talked with them was because they actually, AMD technology works very well with the PC games such as like DC Universe Online or uh, Batman Arkham Asylum and then Batman Arkham City coming out as well. The graphics are really good. You know, they do amazing things for the computer because of the capabilities that their processors have. So we were given some demonstrations and we were talking about a bunch of different things and possibilities of what Arkham City could bring to the table when working with AMD. And unfortunately, there was a problem with the audio and we weren't able to post that interview. But I'm not a huge gamer and I'm definitely not a huge computer gamer. But at the same time, it's nice to know that there's things out there to make the gaming experience even better than it already is. And to have six monitors sitting in front of you and to be able to see, you know, a huge range of an area because you have such, you have a much bigger screen, it, it's really cool. And that was really cool. This has nothing to do with Batman, but probably one of the funnest things we did there was I'm a huge fan of Conan O'Brien. Oh, yes. <laughs> and Conan O'Brien had his had an art gallery across the street from the convention of the Flaming Sea. And we had we had a morning that we didn't have anything planned until the afternoon or something like that. And my wife and I were walking around downtown San Diego kind of seeing what what else was going on in relation to Comic-Con. We happened to come across the art gallery, knew about it because they talked about it on the TV show, or on the, on the actual show, and we stood in line, and as we were standing in line, we were told by one of like the Warner Brothers security people that uh, Conan was actually inside the building, and he was like filming for the show. So the I think it was like a two- or three-minute clip that was shown on the on the actual episode following Comic-Con was actually in, they actually filmed that for probably a good hour and a half. My wife actually got to shake Conan's hand and the, the art gallery, I wish they would have expanded a little bit more. It was like just walking in the place was like classic Conan. They had these people dressed up real fancy, handing out hors d'oeuvres, but the hors d'oeuvres were like such odd things. Like there was a mound of meat that was smothered in sauce and you had to take a toothpick and poke the meat to get some. (laughs) But it wasn't meatballs. It was just these odd things of meat that were just heaped in a bowl covered in sauce. It was so Conan O'Brien. And I know that has nothing to do with Batman, but that was probably one of the funnest things that they had there. Besides that, Hall H, we didn't even make it to because there wasn't really anything that was really huge in Hall H, Batman-related. There wasn't really a whole lot of movie stuff in general. Big stuff was, like, they had Twilight... Uh, which I could give two craps about. <laughs> they had Amazing Spider-Man, and they, they showed the trailer for that, which it does look interesting, but it'll get blasted out of the box office by The Dark Knight Rises next year. Yeah, sorry, and, Spidey. Yeah. The the convention had a very, very relaxed feel, as it did as it did in prior years, I guess. It was a lot more relaxed, as there wasn't as many people, you know, trying to like get into every single panel or they had a bunch of big huge panels that everybody was trying to get into it was more about what you were interested as a fan not necessarily myself but as a as a fan what are you interested in seeing and what you know there's there was something for everybody and they always say that there's always something for everybody but this year there really was something for everybody it wasn't something for everybody but only if you want to miss all these giant huge announcements of different things which was kind of cool. 
another thing that was kind of a bad situation interview-wise was there was a panel that was held on, I believe it was Thursday night, called Detecting Deviants, the Psychology of Batman's Rogues Gallery or something, something on those lines. And they've—it's a group of people that are known as Broadcast Thought, which is like three psychologists and an FBI agent, and they—they they kind of like were talking about all the different things having to do with Batman's villains, and kind of like analyzing them and talking about whether or not the way they're depicted in the comics is is real or not. And that was something that was—I was really interested in. We didn't interview with them before the panel actually began. But that didn't. The audio for that didn't turn out well. But the plus side is we're actually arranging with them to do a really at length special for the Batman Universe specials about their discussion that they actually had for their panel at Comic Con. So that's something that I'm really looking forward to as well, and that kind of stems from Comic Con as well. So that would be interesting. The Rogues Gallery that Batman has, just because it's so huge, I think really, really has a good overview of all the different psychological ailments I think that would be interesting to listen to so I mean overall Comic Con was great a lot of really cool things DC actually got us the opportunity to talk with Scott Snyder and that was probably when in retrospect that was probably the best interview we did because Scott Snyder is very good about talking about what he's doing currently and what he's working on in the future and things like that but for the most part, it's very, and I'm not. This is nothing against Scott Snyder because I I know that he gets asked the same exact questions over and over again. But we we had the opportunity to interview Scott Snyder, and there was a group that was interviewing him right right in front of us. And as they were interviewing him, I could hear him saying his answers that I that I knew that I read in past interviews that were already posted on like Newsrama and Comic Book Resources, and. When I when it was our turn to do the interview, I was convinced that I'd ask him those questions, but I would have to come up with ways to get new information because otherwise everybody's going to have the exact same information. And I'm, that was the one interview that I did myself at Comic-Con, and I think I did a pretty good job. And I'm not saying that because I have a massive ego, but I do. <laughs> and um, I think I did a pretty good job at trying to get him to talk about a little bit more about what we're going to be able to see with Batman come September, with him writing it, he he expanded a lot about the some of the villains that are going to be in it. He clarified some of the remarks he's made about Gotham City, you know, and this and I really hope that this guy sticks around in in, in the Batman universe for quite some time because not only is he really thrilled to be working with the character, but he generally he generally is a fan of Batman too, and I think that's important. Not. Not that he, he he's going to be writing fan fiction, which there are some people who do, but he writes really good stories because he understands the character so well. And I, I really appreciate that, and I really hope that this guy sticks around writing Batman comics for quite some time because not only is he doing a good job, but I'm sure he'll continue to do a good job and only get better as time progresses. That was Comic-Con. I had a lot of fun. I know Josh and Don had a lot of fun, and... We're already starting to plan for next next year. So, so if you have any questions about Comic Con, make sure you shoot us an email at podcast.thebatmanuniverse.net. We'll be sure to answer your questions about Comic Con. If not myself, then Josh or Don will also answer those questions as well. 
So that's everything for this episode. You can head over to the website, thebamayunders.net, for all the daily news, including everything related to The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, over there for everything related to the movies, the TV, merchandise, video game, and the comics. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. You can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. You can join the forums to chat with other Bat fans about everything related to Batman from the movies to the comics. Just be sure to shoot us an email if you register on the forum so we can make sure that your account is actually a real account and not a spam account. And we will be sure to register your account so that is good to go and you can start chatting with other Bat fans right away. In addition to that, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And you can check out some of our other podcast feeds, including the comic podcast, the specials, commentaries, interviews, Bat Books for Beginners, The Villain Wall, tons of things to check out, tons of ways to get your Batman Universe fix. So that's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is John. And this is Melinda. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. I'm not lost anymore. Yay! (laughs) Over and out. Next up, Mezco Toys had a booth, and they had a number of different items on display, including the DC Universe Medzits, Batmobile and Batman, and the for the first time they, they showed off the uh, Batwing. It's part of the Medzits line. <laughs> Are you all right? <laughs> The hell was that? I don't know. Are you... Dustin? Yes. Okay. Are you there? <laughs> yeah. It sounded like you got caught in a hurricane. <laughs> oh my. I'm sorry. <laughs> that would be interesting. In the middle of a podcast, just hear Melinda being carried off. In a surprise. <laughs> All right. So that's everything for this episode. This is, uh, if uh, you can make sure you, ah, wow. I feel like I'm doing a comic cast right now. Center yourself. Uh, Put your teeth in, dear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>